Hi, and welcome to Having New Eyes, a podcast to help you look at things differently, to think, to reflect, to ask questions. The real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. Marcel Proust. And now here's your hosts, Bob Hotard and Jim Jones. Everybody's talking about how the world's gonna end. Hello, everyone. I'm Bob Hotard in San Antonio, Texas. And Having New Eyes, Season 2, What is an American, continues on. I really wanted to go back to the beginning. Jim and I talked about this this week. The common themes of identity and integrity just seem to flow through all of the episodes. We stopped and did a COVID-19. Well, it actually stopped us, I think. So we, we had to do a, a coronavirus episode last season. Uh, and we talked about law enforcement, but our theme then was migrating to the melting pot. And, and we ended with, you know, migrations and immigrations, but we can't seem to also get away from that theme as well, right into this season with the tipping points. And there was just that perfect storm of the coronavirus and the effects that it had on on basically working and learning. <laughs> so you work differently and you learn differently, whether if you're in education, and then the the third storm of the of the Black Lives Movement and the, the protesting of uh, of racism. And that migration that we all have away from our normal to where kind of we are now, it just doesn't stop and it all seems to flow together. And last week we talked about power and the powerless. And one of the things that struck me uh, after we got off the air, Jim, was the uh, streaming service Twitch that allows a gamer to actually broadcast himself or herself playing a game and giving comments has become so powerful in the gaming industry that they can make or break a new startup game or company. And in fact, most recently, and uh, a, a new game came out, and the top, the top media influencers on Twitch reviewed it. And so, you know, it's not so much their opinion that matters. And don't don't worry, I'm I'm bringing this around to to media and crisis, which is our topic for today. But uh, it's not so much their opinion that matters, or their review, the fact that they said, "Hey, this is a pretty fun game. It's new. It's great," but. As soon as they do that, their 150,000 or gajillion followers that they have read their review and immediately start to say, oh, I'm going to go check that game out. Oh, yes, I agree. And now within days, if not hours, a new company just rockets to, to stardom, so to speak, on the scene, and they become the new in-game, the it, the it game. Now, in the business I'm in, we, we call that digital disruption. And that is kind of the, the, the essence of what has happened also in the media, where, and, and in fact, and some of the, the I've, I've actually taken some classes in this this week, and you can uh, LinkedIn learning, and they talk about media companies who have had to, who have struggled with this concept of digital disruption. And you have to go no further than the Washington Post, who found themselves, like most traditional print companies, you know, falling behind, losing business, losing subscribers and advertisers because people were going online to get 
virtually the same information. But what they did is they responded and they didn't respond by just putting their their newspaper on the web and saying, okay, now we're digital. The term they call it is uh, lipstick, kind of putting lipstick on the pig, digital lipstick. And they did not do that. So what they did is started to increase the number of stories they wrote digitally or online or the Washington Post online. And I think all of us today now, we don't even think twice about seeing a story in our in our feeds from the Washington Post because they've completely reinvented their business so much so that they came within, I think, second place, if you will, or, or rated second to the New York Times online. So that's a tremendous turnaround of a quote unquote print media company. A good example of how it's a, it's a different world today. It's, it, it's a new era that, uh, uh, you know, and I'll give one more, one more example. I, I asked a 30 year old, well, where do you get your news from? Like, and he said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, if, you know, if something happened, you, you know, some crisis happened, where would you go for information? What would, what would you do? Would you, you know, first thing he said, oh, I'd probably go to Reddit and I'd see what the, uh, what everyone was saying there, what the subreddits were saying about it and just find out. And there would be links there to different news sources. So I'd go there first. So how, how is that, how, how different that is, you know, uh, uh, as, as a Buzzfeed or a Reddit being the first source that someone thinks about going to, to where, well, I'll see what's on the six o'clock news when I get home, or I'll see what, what's, uh, what they say about it in the papers tomorrow or on the 10 o'clock news at night. It, it's such a, a, a different uh, era that we're in now. Uh, and I'll introduce now Jim Jones. I'm going to uh, retitle you again, our resident historian. How about that? That sounds much better. It's got a little ring to it. Wow. That sounds impressive. Uh... <laughs> I can uh, I can take impressive. Uh, this is uh, Jim Jones, resident historian, Esquire in uh, Brookline, Massachusetts, just a stone's throw from Boston proper. And I'd like to thank uh, my mother today because uh, it was in the early 50s when my mother decided that it was worth two dollars, so that. I could be with that group of kids every Friday, sitting in the classroom anxiously, because that was a day that we all knew that our teacher was going to pass out the weekly reader. Man, oh. the weekly reader, this little bitty flimsy four page, a little bit larger than comic size, kind of a current events thing that my mom, as the daughter, of immigrants who came into the country undocumented, it was very important for her, for us to, again, going back to identity, define ourselves as being an Americans. Part of that had to do with language, and she wouldn't use these sophisticated words, but part of it had to do with um, civic literacy, being an informed citizen. In her mind, it was, well, you got to know stuff. And I would enjoy it because there was science in there. There was stuff on the other side of the world. And that was an awakening for me. It was a a habit that was developing for me, where to this day, I am still among that group of people, 20% in the country, that still read the printed word, newspaper, 
the power of language, the power of the media, the printed word still has power. I read the newspaper and I've learned a lot through time to look at language, to have a, a pair of eyes that scans across the page and finds something of value within the printed word. My dad, who didn't finish elementary school, went into the military. In retirement, when I would go to visit him, I liked to visit him in the morning because he always had a pot of coffee on, was pouring over the newspaper. Even my dad, who, for whatever reason, and he wasn't like me that went to the sports page first, uh, my dad would pour over the newspaper and, you know, I sometimes wonder, in, in their own ways, did our ancestors, parents, and grandparents who were reading a newspaper at that time, if not listening to a radio for news, sometimes simultaneously both of them, didn't have some sense of, this is what you do if you're an American, you are informed about what's going on in the world. And now I see how the topic of migration also appears into it because over the years we've had this migration so that now we have 57% of the United States getting their news from television or 38% which are getting their news from online sources. And in the process of thinking about media and crisis, it made me think of a couple of different interpretations, depending upon how you look at it. Is this going to be something that, and it is, going to include thinking about the media as it is now dealing with the crises, plural, that are surrounding us, everything from the pandemic to the economy to education and politics and people marching in, marching in the streets with Brack. Black Lives Matter and what's going on in Europe with Brexit? Or is it about the media in crisis because we have a crisis going on when it can geometrically expand online to so many people, almost, think about it, losing control of what the content is. And it was Sumner Redstone who just died this week, media mogul that owned TV stations and movie theaters, and he was a media giant who said content is king. Mm. But if content is king, how can we control the content focusing on what the media is supposed to do? And one of those things is provide some news when it can also generate this week also one of the major events, the naming of Kamala Harris to uh, a vice presidential candidate to hate language to conspiracy theories, to accusations about, is he an American citizen, or questions about that. So it, it, it's both, looking through both eyes, seeing that, and thinking, again, through this lens that we have, because the media, as Malcolm X said, is the most powerful entity on earth. They control the minds of the masses. And if that's true, what are the masses doing with it? And who is it that's doing the controlling? There you go. And that's the that's the one thing that I wanted to to look at and, and think about a little bit from a historical perspective as well. In the 60s, what I recall as a as a child, 
you, you basically had ABC, NBC, CBS, maybe PBS, but not really. O- only those three networks. And and your news source was uh, Walter Cronkite or the the other two, you know, major networks. You relied on them. You knew they weren't all equal. And I'm sure every family probably had had their favorite. And you knew that maybe one was a little more conservative. One was a little bit more not, I wouldn't even say liberal, but, you know, reported things differently. But there's the concept up to a certain point in time of journalism. And when that, I think, shifted in the 80s, you know, that pretty much stayed the 70s. But then, uh, you know, we have, we have uh, not issues, but we had things come up like the Watergate. And, and also the, so then the information that was being shared well was it the truth were we were we being told everything think of just to think about the whole vietnam war what was being shown we were seeing conflicts and we were then then uh, it was uh, jane fonda you know uh, so it was a uh, it was press a war. was there too the press was there too exactly exactly and and that's how we saw it we saw her there and so I guess then, you know, with the 80s and and cable coming into, you know, we started seeing things like MTV giving us news and and we were able to see other local uh, super stations. So you could see at any part of the country, you could see the Atlanta local news or the Chicago local news if you had that super station. And and then eventually more more and more of that. And so then it's it's gotten away from that. You, you know, limited sources and a standard, so to speak, of journalism to where we are today, which I think is kind of a, a, a far cry from that. But it's also, as we know, that crowdsource, like you mentioned, who's controlling it. It's more opinion driven because it's more crowd driven. It's more comment driven. Washington Post can put out two or three articles on the same event or the same story and update it throughout the day, but the comments and the social media impacts that affect those stories are are huge and also part of the story. They become part of the story. If we talk about a crisis, any crisis, something happening today, it's, it's a different ball game than what a traditional source was even 20 years ago, if not 30 for sure, and how it's reported and and what we find out about it. In some ways, it's good. In some ways, not. And I think we have to look at that as well. You mentioned Jane Fonda. Yeah, we were there in Vietnam, first war that was covered by correspondents like Morley Safer and Mike Wallace that were right there in the battlefield. If you hold a protest and 5,000 people show up and the media isn't there, you didn't have a protest. If you hold a protest and three people show up and the media is there, you had a protest. Well, are you talking about today, though, or are you talking about back then? I'm talking about today. I'm talking about any time. If no one is there to report what occurred, it's non-existent. But I think today it's not media per se. It's it's anyone with the, with the with a camera, with a phone that can report it. And, and they're the media. Yes. Yes. A person who is enabled by the media. And by the media, we mean TV, online, uh, including what you do with your devices, radio, 
uh, you're going to write something down, print. If, if no one is there that is doing that, you, di you didn't have an event. But I think we got to go back a little bit because, first of all, we're, we're slinging this word media around. What's, what's the media? What, what's the, the, the purpose? Well, I just mentioned it's television, all the online capacities and, and the phones and radios and print and now all these websites online and so on. But, you know, the media has several functions. So we've got to define some of these functions. One of them is to observe, like you might do at a protest, let's say, and inform. I'm going to report what happened yesterday over at Boston Common. Another one is to correlate. Correlate is what we see a lot happening in the news now when we bring in an expert or a pundit to make comments or to comment and correlate how the news fits in and to illuminate some ideas. It could be something about cultural transmission, the arts, things in our society. It could be entertainment. You know, we have a, a, a guy named Tom Nichols who wrote The Death of Expertise. And he's talking about with all of these media outlets and all these voices speaking on, a, on the spectrum of what constitutes the media, what's happened in is, is that it has reduced expertise about a topic to anybody that wants to talk about it. And because of that, it is now, the media is a 24-hour source of entertainment from hate to nonsense to everything in between stories about puppy dogs and about um, whatever you can see on YouTube that happened because somebody fell down on the slip and slide this summer. Because the media is such an important element within the society because of what I mentioned before, this idea of civic literacy, if we need to know about what's going on in our country, especially now with a, an election going on, then how does the death of expertise because of the media, through the media, its vehicle, affect all of us? And I think that's part of this crisis that we mentioned because there are so many ways that that is occurring. You know, Jeffrey Epstein, sex trafficking, big story, huge story. The Catholic priests that were abusing, abusing children here in Boston, huge story. Jerry Sandusky, abusing players at Penn. Larry Nasser, gosh, big story about all the thousands of women abused, thousands of women abused. These all originated from local newspapers. The Miami Herald, that was the, that was the story that Epstein was sex trafficking. And even the prosecutor in New York did something hardly ever does. He acknowledged a reporter from a newspaper. Basically, we're, you know, it's sort of like they all say, say all politics is local. News is local. We get most of our news. I do because I'm reading the Boston Globe or the, or the you know, somebody's reading the Waxahaxie, Texas uh, 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 Eagle or, or something like that. But newspapers are failing. And because they're failing, what does that say about a crisis from a very important element of the media within our society? There's a, um, an app called Nextdoor where... Uh... You, you join it. It's basically a neighborhood app 
people in your neighborhood can join it and you're usually grouped with the people that live close to you in your neighborhood. I, I found uh, recently that that becomes the source of news. Oh, this person was driving around. I know they don't live here. They were doing this and this. Has anyone called the, the police? Also a, a social aspect of it or social conscious or civic consciousness. This street is a, XYZ street is a, a neighborhood street. We've got major construction trucks going by. It should not be a through street. Can we get, can someone help? So it, it's not only a communication tool and a sharing tool, much like Facebook is, but it's also a, a new source. Oh, I didn't know that happened right here in my neighborhood. And I mean, it can be something as, you know, silly as, oh, hey, there was a gray fox going across the road. Here's the picture from last night. But also someone's been breaking and entering into these houses over on this street. Has any, you know, has anyone heard about that, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it becomes that instantaneous information source, but who regulates it? And again, I come back to the who's commenting on it. Well, you're being too, you, you know, you're, you're reacting too quickly. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm going to lock my door. So it, you get both sides almost immediately, both sides of the spectrum, I guess, or the political spectrum, if you could say that. But you always get the, the different comments back and forth immediately when something like that is posted. And so what is that saying about us as a society, as an, as an American? It's not, you know, just unique to uh, certainly this area of the country or just to the United States, but it's another news source. It's another, it's another media, if you will. You know, when you stop to think about it, all of us through the media experience some of the major events, not just in the United States, but in the world because of this thing we call the media. 9-11, the devastation of the hurricanes in Haiti. Katrina, endless days of coverage, the tsunami in Japan, the humanity lost in some of these events, the revolt in Egypt, or something inspirational like the space launches. Online the other day, I got a photo of, taken by my daughter of our little five-year-old grandchild watching the launch of the SpaceX to Mars. You know, the media, she was watching it live on television as it was happening. The marches in Portland, the Black Lives Matter uh, marches, uh, where my kids are, and my son was on the street taking some photos of this also. He's a professional photographer. Not to mention all the people that had handheld devices and were putting something on YouTube for whatever reason, and it went viral. And then pretty soon you have 11 million followers around the world, including the people that, well, I don't know, who doesn't have a phone that may not even be interested in that because now those things have uploaded to from being handhelds and going around the world to now it's a little segment on the morning news that we might see. So, you know, it's become this powerful entity, but if we're going to protect it, because after all, if we have all these, if we have these goals, these functions of the media, then we have to be responsible about how we take it in and digest it. Are you familiar with the crap test? And I'm not talking anything that involves hygiene. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Okay. Well, the crap, test, the crap test, C-R-A-A-P test. Oh, okay. Crap test. Is, okay. Was developed 
at uh, one of the UCAL, University of California uh, campuses, uh, Chico in Chico, California. And it said, when you would examine an article, when you examine some news, because we don't want to be like Weimar Nazi Germany, where propaganda uh, existed and their Sturmer was being read with anti-Semitic messages by students in classrooms and the Volkischer Beobachter. And, and it was just propagating propaganda. The first thing you look at is the C is currency. Is this the most recent info? Is this something that, that, that is reliable because it just happened yesterday and not three weeks ago? Relevancy. How do these topics relate to something in the news? Authority. Oh, yeah. Who, who's the source of this? Is this Joe Smo who lives in uh, uh, Midland, Texas? Or was it uh, uh, James Jones, who is reporting uh, with live photos in uh, Portland, Oregon? Accuracy. We have to hold people to accuracy. Is it verifiable? Do we have a way to verify uh, where this piece came from and who is the source? And the purpose. Is this to teach us, to entertain us? Is it about us being able to read and know the facts? Is it an opinion? So we're not going to sit down and say, okay, let me take the crap test every time I read a newspaper here. But I would say that most of us kind of know that when we're reading something, we ask ourselves a question because as I did the other day, I picked up our paper and there, half page, it was Biden selects Harris for VP uh, candidate. My neighbor had his paper still on the table outside his door, and it was a, another paper. And in the right-hand corner, upper right-hand corner, about an, I don't know, inch, I'll say an inch and a half, says uh, Harris selected by Biden. Now, that's a difference in two sources of facts. That's a difference in who am I as an American? Am I defined by the media, the newspaper that I read? Yes. But again, we have a litmus test that we have for ourselves of why am I reading this paper instead of that one? And I think because of the volume today, and I guess this is authority, this is the authority part of the crap test, but the first thing I do is what source is it? Who is saying this? What is this? Is this CNN or is it Fox? Is it the Washington Post or the or the Globe or whatever, whatever? And, and I think that's that's the basic question. Where is this information? And not just really the the media outlet, but where is the story coming from? And you mentioned that that's a great question to ask. Is it verifiable? Is this someone's opinion or is this verifiable facts? Can you find that information the same way, give or take, in a, through another source? And, and that's maybe applying that to uh, several stories of the same thing. Because I, I think, you know, that's what we're faced with today quite often. You'll see, you know, one story about, uh, and let's just use that story, of uh, one, uh, like you said, the announcement of the vice presidential candidate. 
You'll have one story and it's said one way. Another one is said another way. A third is said even a different way. You know, obviously we know what the fact is, but you know, what is the source of the information? Is it verifiable? Those are good. Those are good questions to ask. Well, here I am. I'll be John Q. Citizen. And I'm saying, gee, I want to find out about who's running in this election and the candidates and what they stand for. And I say, oh, this is cool. There's a show on CNN, one of the major television news sources. It's a media company, so it's broader than television. And there's a program that comes on late in the evening called Reliable Sources. Oh, my gosh, Reliable Sources. Hey, I want that. Of course, if you look at the language of rhetoric and how we persuade people using propaganda, that falls into the idea of glittering generalities reliable sources. That's sort of like new ideas, the best source for news. These, these are words that sound good, but they may not always apply. So you look at the uh, program, reliable sources, and one of the stories is these new executive orders are nothing but a media stunt. Ooh, okay. Stunt, that already tells you there's a little language saying an official statement now becomes a stunt. The other one is talking about the right-wing rabid responses on right-wing radio. Now, I don't know how reliable or what their standard is for reliable sources, but I would look at that and say, hmm, that kind of looks very much anti-administration to me. On the other hand, you go to our president's favorite network, which is OANN. You know what O-A-N-N is? Okay. So you go to uh, One America News Network, and you'll see, <laughs> I have to laugh, because there's a story uh, most recently on, is Joe Biden neurologically damaged? <laughs> you go to another one, bumbling Joe Biden. You kind of get the picture about where this is going. So we have to ask ourselves, not just about whether there's certain criteria being met, but are these networks, are these sources of media morally responsible? That's, that's heavy when you introduce the word moral into your media, media sources, but there is so much, there's so much hate and spewing of negativity for the people that say, oh man, this is just news fatigue. I can't take any more of this. That to have a, a network and make judgments about whether it is morally responsible or not is going to be something that doesn't damage people's reputations or lives. There was a, a two, 2017 media bias chart that came out, and it's, it's interesting. So at the center of the chart is mainstream media. And they list, and I'll just give a, a few examples, AP, NBC, CBS, NPR, BBC, The Monitor, The Economist. But, and then to the right, skews conservative, to the left, skews liberal. And they list those, those, uh, uh, those entities, and I won't, I won't go into it. And then hyper-partisan liberal is, is the next column on the left. And to the, on the next column on the right, hyper-partisan conservative. To the far right is conservative, other, utter garbage, conspiracy theories. And to the far left, liberal, utter garbage, conspiracy theories. But it, you see this whole, and, and the chart goes from problematic quality 
to satisfactory quality. So, you know, mainstream with satisfactory quality is at the top of the top of the chart. And it ends up being, you know, like quite, uh, as you would imagine, uh, as it goes to the right, it starts to go down in, in quality or to the left, it starts to go down in quality. And so you have to, you have to understand kind of, even if this chart is maybe half right or, you know, and it certainly changes over time. So what was this uh, three, four years ago now? Uh, maybe some of these have shifted on the spectrum or on this chart to where, uh, you know, what they what was strewing conservative may be strewing a little liberal now or vice versa. Or maybe something has come up in, in the way of, of being more accurate or satisfactory quality because uh, they've gotten their information and their facts checked. Uh, and and they've come out on the on the positive side of that. It's hard to know, and it's hard to to kind of sift through that. What is alternate? What is the Drudge Report? Uh, you know, which side of the spectrum are they on? And you don't really have the opportunity to to go check your chart every time, or or realize that. Uh, and I guess that's that's for someone who's looking and searching and and uh, and scanning stories. But what about the people that just hang out on the right or just hang out on the left, so to speak, and just read, watch, absorb just that information from that media source, from that one media source? And I wonder if that's the most dangerous, quote unquote, scenario that we have today. Going back to some of the work that I did when I worked at Facing History in Our Shells, one of the key components in education within a democracy because is it different to be a journalist a professional in a democratic society as opposed to other types of societies well we would say yes and there's such a thing as i mentioned before about civic literacy and in teaching students about how to discern how to make choices about what you read and be able to refute things that don't fit a standard. Or it might be a standard that you have about how you determine what is worth your reading time is a very important activity for people to develop, all people, students or uh, adults, and especially now as I think about all of the news, quote unquote, stories, quote unquote, that are going to be floating around about the candidates and someone not being a real citizen. Uh, I've listened to both ends of the spectrum and believe me, both ends have their kind of really, for me, far out conspiracy theories. But just to show you how this whole idea about moral responsibility, the media can hurt people because it has power. It can hurt people. In 1996 at the Olympics in Atlanta, a man named Richard Jewell was working as a security guard. A bomb went off. One person, I believe, was killed and hundreds were injured. And the FBI came in to investigate. And there was a reporter for the Atlanta Journal who leaked a story. Well, I don't want to say leaked a story, but developed an angle to what had happened. And the accusation was that Richard Jewell, the security guard, had been involved in setting this bomb. The FBI, reading the article and having 
really, you have to find, you know, the Americans want who did it. Just find out who did it. <laughs> do it and do it quickly. Who set that Boston, the bomb in Boston at the marathon? Fine, man. I mean, we were locked down here at that time and they were police were sweeping the streets. You got to appease the people. You mentioned it before about the twin about the Twin Towers, about 9-11. It was just we got to go get the bad guys. That's it. And so eventually, long story short, Richard Jewell, who did not do it, and they did catch the perpetrator later, basically had his career ruined because once it's out there, once it's out there in the ether, whether you use the word pedophile or terrorist or bomber, these words are words that have, again, language that has power in and of itself. When I talked about glittering generalities before, saying, you know, best, good, new, those words have a certain, oh, well, this is new. I like new stuff. But this whole idea of name calling, you know, we can say patriot. Oh, patriot. He must be a really good guy. Hero must be a hero. Richard Jewell was called a hero initially because he helped save people. But then eventually he became a pariah. Another one of these negative words right now is using the word socialist. All, I mean, Bernie came out in the Socialist Party. Yes, I'm Bernie Sanders. But now to use that word, man, there's some coded language that means, hmm, that's kind of real lefty. He's going to be the one that is going to take away something by, you know, the government is going to take away something from you so that it can have more power. I, I can guarantee there's people in the country that associate that with communism. Sure, sure. And, and you know what? Later on, years later, because it was the 50s, the publishers of the Weekly Reader admitted that they were very strongly anti-communist because of the McCarthy, the time of the McCarthy hearings and everything, that a lot of their writing and stories about Russia or about what was happening in certain elements of the United States government and who were people in office or, excuse me, who were people working within administrations, they said, yes, we did that. And it was the times. And I was reading that stuff and it was like, for me anyway, oh yeah, simplistic, Russia bad, US good. Come on, we got to beat them out into space because they're going to get up there and do bad things, you know? But I was a kid. And we talked about the the history bias uh, and, and how we learned about U.S. history, Texas history, in the in our case. So now you look at where we are today. When I think of media and crisis, the first thing I'm thinking of is what is going to be the next thing? And I think, or I wonder, and I mean the next major event or the next major crisis or something happens at a at a you know. Well, we just had one in uh, in Beirut, did we not? The explosion there, and you know, where does our information, where will, let's think of it in the future, but we can kind of use that as a very current example. Where does our information come from immediately after a day, after a week, a couple of weeks after that? And, uh, you you know, how many people thought, you know, I, I probably will raise my hand. As soon as I heard the news of that, I thought, oh no, another terrorist attack. Uh huh. I don't, I don't even know how it was reported, basically. And then a few days later, you start to see all of the, all of the pictures and the images 
of uh, people's lives being dis- disrupted. And for, for whatever reason, I guess July, a, a, a favorite time to be get married in Beirut, but you saw all of the the images of the brides either getting photographed or actually weddings taking place and uh, the aftershock of the blast. And then we find out it's not, it wasn't a terrorist attack or it was something, you know, chemical stored. So now you start to think, how are we going to get our information? That's probably clear how we're going to get it, but how are we going to take it in? What decisions are we going to make based on it? And how is that going to affect our lives? And I, I fear we've we've touched on this a little bit, and and the, you know I, I don't want to say the wolves are circling. Maybe the the pot is brewing or getting stirred. Or, we're looking at the election and the postal service and the issue with that, and how is that information going to be? And I even mentioned it. It's still you know uh, I mentioned this earlier about uh, last season about the um, the Democratic and the Republican conventions. You know, that was covered a certain way for years and years in the media. And it's, you know, it's different this year. So how is the election going to be covered by the media? Will it be flipped on its head like most things have been this year? Will it be digitally disrupted by our current way of recording, broadcasting, and sharing information that we have today? In my lifetime. I have uh, watched two films that are polar opposites of that idea. I watched one film that showed the integrity of the journalistic profession. And there's Woodward, Bernstein, Redford and Hoffman, and Jason Robards as Ben Bradley sitting around in a conference room in All the President's Men. Are we going to run the story? our integrity, what our newspaper stands for, our identity is at risk. We're professionals. This is what we do. But it's even bigger than just saving our reputation as a newspaper. It's about what all the people will read and believe. And this was one of those major moments in which that decision is going to draw in audiences. But then recently, well, not so recently, years back, I see another one about the power of decision in the media, the social network. And here are young people who are not really, quote unquote, journalists or professionals that find a powerful tool in the media that's also worth a lot of money. And you have the creation of Facebook. I'm waiting for the movie on the creation of Twitter. Because, as we all know, that right now, this whole idea of fake news is a very real concept. But we know that through some research at MIT, that Twitter especially, that when, quote unquote, news under whatever criteria is uploaded in Twitter, that fake news, news that is not truthful or based upon fact, travels faster than true stories. And in this day and age where something happening in the United States about our election goes overseas, people are getting false impressions about what's happening. You were asking about, well, what are the stories now? Well, before we 
do that, I would say that, you know, stop and think about it. What is the crisis or the multiple, the plural crises that we have to be aware of now that are going to be reported? Is it about the pandemic? Is it about schools and education? Is it about, because it's election time, the hacking by the Russians or any other country? Is it about the failing economy? Is it about voting and the ballots and the mail-in ballots and the candidates? I see all of those as topics that are going to be current in the news, just as they have been in the past, and they just keep on recurring and recurring and recurring. But the challenge will be, we already know, there's a couple of sides in the pandemic about what's right or wrong and wearing masks. We already know there's a couple of sides on the economy too, too early to get it started. No, we need to get it started. Are those checks going to come in? Is the Congress going to act? Two different views of the Congress because there's obviously two parties opposing viewpoints in about that in the Congress. Black Lives Matter. There are people that are looking at what's happening in the streets and the protests, whether they are nonviolent, quote unquote, or semi-violent to violent. And this organization has become a pariah depending upon how it is reported. And to tell you the truth, I'm one of those who's still saying, okay, what's going on with Brexit? And if this country, England, separates itself, what's the difference going to be for if I travel over there next. Now, I'd like to put another layer on this. And the other layer is for people like me, I confess, who say, I just need to know real quick. And I go to Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Well, we know that uh, that's not exactly the truth. And uh, there are little uh, 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 um, quotes in uh, uh, light blue print saying, this hasn't been verified, but you, if I want to find something quickly, like, uh, you know, in 1900. What was the network movie that William Hurt was in that I was just looking up on Wikipedia? Yeah, Network <laughs> News. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, if I want to find out something about the Boxer Rebellion, which occurred in uh, 1900, which is, you know, this day in history, uh, I go to Wikipedia. Now, I go to Wikipedia, and I don't know whether I'm reading, you know, accuracy or something based upon the guy that entered it or the woman that entered it saw 55 days in Peking and the sand pebbles, you know, as movies. And that's what they based it on. So in a way, if I had to give people some sense of what are we saying when we say, focus your eyes and your thinking on what you're reading in the newspaper, not to make a judgment, Yes, this is absolutely correct. That's absolutely wrong. But maybe to think about what trends am I seeing? Am I seeing that there are a lot of inaccuracies that have been pointed out? Am I seeing other trends which basically see that there's a certain type of language associated with certain topics? When I pick up the sports section, instead of saying socks lose to raise, when it says Red Sox humiliated by Tampa Bay, I'm saying humiliated. Well, there's a, you know, there's a kind of language that's loaded right there. But of course, I know Boston Jock Radio that 
man, if you're not performing, you're going to get it, you know, both barrels. So I, I think it's about asking ourselves randomly even some of these questions. What was the source of this? How do I know this is true? Is there, a, is there another side to this story? So, you know, for those people who've turned off the news, for those people saying, I give up, the fatigue is too great, I can't really help you. But for those of us who are sticking with it because this is our country, this is who we are, this is our narrative, this is our story, and I want to have some sense that I am being a responsible citizen, and just like my mom who paid the two bucks, I want my son to be able to read, and maybe he's going to make simplistic or imperfect judgments, but he's making judgments nonetheless, and he's doing some reading or consumption of news. So I think this week, it's not so much new eyes, but it's clear eyes, focused. Uh, maybe it's, here's where you have to take your glasses off and make sure they're cleaned or, or you context, uh, need to, do they need to be rewetted? What would happen to the guy in, in network, uh, that film where he sticks his head out the door and says, I'm madder than hell and I can't, I'm not going to take any more of it. Oh yeah. Peter, Peter Finch. Yes. How would that uh, be, be uh, reported on today or would that, would anybody even uh, care about that? Well, see Peter Finch and what he embodies there fits in perfectly to our next episode, which is order and disorder. There you go. Because for a lot of people, it's saying, I can't take it anymore. Go to your windows and shout. Because a lot of people are saying, man, there's so much here disorder, I can't keep track anymore. We'll, we'll be talking about what people do when they've checked too many news sources. There you go. Exactly. Jim, thanks as always. Great episode. I appreciate it. And we'll talk to everybody uh, next week. Night, Bob. Thanks. Well, there you have it. And we hope you'll be part of this conversation as we share our thoughts and ideas. Our goal, as Jim says, is to make you think. And after you've thought about each topic, reach out to us on Facebook and Instagram at Having New Eyes Podcast and on Twitter at HNE Podcast. Be sure to use the hashtag Having New Eyes or HNE. You've been listening to Having New Eyes, a podcast by Bob Hotard and Jim Jones. Download Having New Eyes on Apple Podcasts, Google Play for Android, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher Radio, or on any of your favorite podcast apps. Jim thanks the many students over the decades who were his teachers on a human level. Yes, he was making mental notes. Bob would like to thank his family and the many coaches, teachers, and mentors for the support, encouragement, and inspiration. Find him on Twitter at Bob H. Web Design. Some portions of today's program may have been pre-recorded. Music by Jay Kleiner from the album I Am Me, live from the living room. Stream Jay's music on SoundCloud.com. H&E is recorded in San Antonio, Texas. Audio engineer is Jason Barrera. Executive producer, Bob Hotard. All rights reserved. I'm Becky Steinmetz. Remember, the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.